Hi, everybody. This is uh, Andy LeBeau from uh, Commodity Research Group. Today, I'm joined by Marty Stetzer, the president of EKT Interactive, and my partner, Ed Meir, also of uh, Commodity Research Group, and uh, recently named the number one base metals analyst uh, by Metals Bulletin. Uh, today we have a uh, program, our weekly program. We're going to talk. Ed is going to lead off, and uh, he's going to be talking about metals, of course. Uh, also, the dollar, a little bit on uh, trade talks, and uh, Ed, maybe you can give us some clarity on Brexit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have all the answers here. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. You, you mean, you, you mean like everybody else has all the answers too, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but Ed is going to talk a little bit about Brexit. And then I'm, I'm going to do the uh, anchor leg uh, with uh, Marty on, uh, on oil. So I'm going to uh, start it off with uh, my colleague Ed Meir uh, from Commodity Research Group. Ed? Thanks very much, Andy. And thank you, Marty, for organizing this podcast. We, were, we are looking at a couple of things over the next week or two, of which Brexit, as you mentioned earlier, is going to be kind of important to the markets. The problem is no one really knows what's going to happen. Uh, as of yesterday, Parliament apparently is going to be voting on 16 different proposals. I'm not sure all 16 will be voted on, but I think there are 16 different combinations and permutations of Brexit that are going to be voted on. This is basically a move to take away the uh, agenda, so to speak, from Prime Minister May and bring it uh, back to Parliament. Parliament is, is, hasn't been happy with the fact that you know, she's, she's kind of cloistered all the negotiations within her office. People aren't really getting uh, much details or much input into what she's agreed to. So they want to open it up to, to a vote on, on different options. The problem is there is not going to be a majority for any of these plans. So April 12th is a key cutoff date. By, by that point, uh, the UK has to tell the EU what what kind of plan it's going to put forward. If it doesn't come up with a plan, it's basically going to be out of the union in a hard Brexit by May 22nd. So all in all, uh, that's a lot of detail, but as far as the markets are concerned, sterling is not doing very much. It's, uh, it's firmed up, actually, over the last day or two. It's now at 132. Again, I think Markets just don't know what's happening. It's really literally an hour-by-hour hour type of a thing. Uh, we could even see her resign. So we're watching that carefully. I think eventually there will be some sort of a deal. That should strengthen Sterling. The talk is that it could rally maybe to 135 to 140 from 132 right now. And if there is a, no deal or no Brexit, uh, we could maybe drop down to around 125. So we're watching that. Item two, the trade talks. The U.S. Trade Rep Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, are both in Beijing today. Uh, another round of talks with the Chinese. I don't think anything will happen this week because 
There'll be another week of negotiations next week in Washington, uh, which suggests to me that, that this thing is going to take some time before it's resolved. Uh, stock markets seem to be, you know, taking things in stride. We've, we've kind of had a bit of a sideways move in equity markets uh, over the course of March. The Dow hasn't really done very much uh, trading between 25.4 to 20. Uh, six more or less. It's it's a much tighter range than in February and January, bumping along resistance. Turning to base metals, again, very sideways action, kind of the same in a lot of markets as as Andy will talk about later. But uh, copper, aluminum, zinc, trading at, at relatively high levels, but but the rally has sort of run out of gas for now. And we are kind of just stalling for the moment. And I think we'll, we'll see more of the same going into April. Finally, gold, uh, gold has had a good run in March, uh, relatively good. It, it got to a low of 1280 early on in the month and got up all the way to 1320. So about a $40 an ounce move. It's retraced a little bit over the past two days. Um, but we still think gold could do a bit higher because the dollar seems to be weakening dramatically, especially now that the Fed is on, is on hold and reiterated its, its very dovish message last week, saying that they're not going to be raising rates at all this year. In fact, talk is that there will be a rate cut this year. So I think that that's kind of bearish for the dollar short term. That should help give some support to most commodity markets, probably including crude as well to some extent, certainly to gold, certainly to silver. Uh, platinum and palladium have, have started to move on their own accord, on their own steam. They've kind of de- decoupled a bit from uh, gold and silver. Platinum has been kind of the laggard compared to palladium, but it's, it, it started to move over the last two weeks. But palladium, as we speak, is finally in the midst of a rather substantial correction. So we've been calling for that for some time now. It seems to be happening. The charts are not, are not looking uh, uh, as good as they were. Uh, we've had a $50 move uh, down, uh, sorry, $60 move down so far today and a $40 move down yesterday. So finally, when we're starting to see palladium uh, buckle a, a bit here. And, um, you know, we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, so it's finally starting to happen. Well, I'll turn it over to you. I don't know if I left anything out, but uh, net-net, uh, kind of uh, steady range markets in vision for April, nothing dramatic on the up or downside till we work through some of these uh, uh, uncertainties. Okay. Th- thanks, Ed. That was that was. A- really great summary of uh, what's going on in, in many markets. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the crude market as well as uh, actually a lot about gasoline. Uh, but let, let's start with crude. As, as Ed mentioned, crude's been trading in a narrow range and uh, is, has a narrow range but moving up. In fact, we just about made a, a new high for the year yesterday. And as we had expected, actually, uh, we were looking in our last monthly report, we said that uh, we thought crude could get over 60 and possibly up to uh, 61. 
So uh, that was a pretty, uh, pretty good call by us on, on crude. But, but the real story has, has been gasoline. Uh, and once again, we had a, a bullish uh, report on uh, EIA weekly report today on uh, gasoline with the draw of 2.9 million, uh, which is around what the market was looking for. Gasoline stocks have uh, now drawn by 20 million barrels so since uh, February 8th. Now, part of that is, uh, is seasonal as, as winter grade has moved out. But um, you know that that is a, a, a much higher than uh, than seasonal draw, and really, what's happened is refiners have had a hard time returning from turnarounds. There have been problem after problem, uh, particularly in uh, some of the larger Gulf Coast refi- refineries, and as a result, gasoline production is uh, well below where where it should be. Uh, you know, earlier this year and late last year, and almost all through last year, we were worried about gasoline uh, because supplies were uh, more than ample. And now we're going to the season with uh, basically average supply numbers at uh, 26 days versus uh, the four-year average is 26 days. So refiners are really going to have to start getting their act together. The, the turnaround should have been over by now. Uh, you know, we look at crude runs, they're, they're averaging only 16 million barrels a day. Last year, they were averaging 16.8 million barrels a day by, for the four-week average ending now. So refiners, they're just not, you know, they haven't been able to get their uh, plants up. Eventually, they will. Uh, but in the interim, uh, it, it means that uh, gasoline is tightened, refinery margins have uh, improved, and that, of course, has helped the, uh, I think, the, the underpin to a certain extent, the, the uh, entire picture in, uh, in crude. And I, I, I know the market isn't focused on it whatsoever because uh, the, the market has really been focused more on, on the macro, rightly so. Um, and as Ed mentioned, you know, the uncertainty in other markets. We, of course, have some major uncertainties in our market from a geopolitical standpoint with Venezuela still having major problems. Now their infrastructure, which has already been collapsing, is going into a, a further collapse as uh, the power outages are uh, really interfering with, uh, with crude production. They're having trouble sourcing ships. So, um, you know, I think their crude production, we'll see where where it comes out. But uh, I think it's going to go, I think we're looking at about 800,000 barrels a day, maybe even lower versus just a couple of months ago at 1.2, 1.3 million barrels a day. So, so things continue to, um, you know, it just continues to erode badly in Venezuela. And of course, the, the big, decision coming up is on uh, Iranian sanction waivers and where the administration is going to go. Uh, that, that needs to be decided by early May. You know, the administration has been talking about getting uh, Iranian exports down to uh, zero. They're right around 1.2 to 1.3 million barrels a day. You know, looking at the supply demand numbers, we actually need Iran to be around here. As it is, crude is pretty tightly balanced right now. Second quarter, I think there's going to be a draw. Third quarter, there's going to be a draw. And, you know, if we were to lose like another half million barrels a day of Iranian crude, uh, it, it's not 
exactly clear where, where that's going to be replaced, uh, you know, unless the Saudis step up and start uh, increasing production, because U.S. production is not going up half a million barrels, is not going up half a million barrels a day. So, you know, the market, the market looks tight, and it, it's also shown in, in the, um, you know, if you look at the, at the curves, Every single market except the first three months or four months in WTI is, is heavily backward dated. So uh, you, you look at the, the curves and, you know, it, it, it's expressing what we see, you know, what we think. You know, things are, things are really tight. And, uh, you know, un, under that scenario, you know, it looks, as, it looks to me as if, if there could be some more upside here uh, on, the, uh, on the crude market. Andy, I just have a quick question on Venezuela. Is anyone actually buying their crude now? I mean, how can you even buy it with all these sanctions in place? And who is buying it? Well, the, they all, the, the Chinese are buying and uh, the Russians are buying. Right. Uh, so those, those are, and they're, there's Europe, no. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're backing out. So um, Yeah, it figures. They're, they're the ones with the most invested in there in terms of loans and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So China and Russia have been, you know, have been right. buying, but, you know, there's going to be less and less, less and less available because uh, they, you know they can't get it out, and they can't. And they can't because of it, because of the sanctions. Insurance on ships is a, is a big issue, right? And that's a heavy. As we've talked about, you know that's a that's a heavy crude that a lot of refineries really really demand, um, particularly here in the uh, in the U.S. So um, you know, the U.S. has replaced some of the vents uh, with. Um, Mars actually, which is an off- offshore grade, a medium. So you know, medium sours are replacing the uh, replacing the heavy sours. And Andy, I think we talked last time, Ed. Uh, Andy and Ed, that they may not be paying for this crude because they have such a debt load. Venezuela has such a debt load with both China and Russia, so it may not be helping any of their foreign exchange situations. Right. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, they're they're yeah the repay. These are all repayments to uh, to Russia and China, and you know even if Maduro was to fall, you know it's not clear how quickly they can get their uh, you know the decrepit in- infrastructure up. You know it's going to take many months, if not years, to uh, to get going. But at least they'll be able to export. Uh, one one, little, one last thing that I wanted to add on, uh, you know, on, on the EIAs and, uh, and crude, you know, we look at uh, crude, crude inventories are, are basically running below the four-year average by 30 million. Uh, we're at 440 million barrels. The EIA in, in their short-term energy outlook had us at 480 by the end of March. So they missed by 40 million barrels. Ed, I know I could do better. Ed and Marty, I know I could do better than do better than that. But, uh, you know, it means that because EIA was also forecasting this big, you know, oversupply of, of domestic crude, and it's, it's, it's not going to happen. So that, that's another, you know, I think another supportive, uh, supportive factor. And the demand numbers, too, you know, they've been coming in okay. You know, they're not rip-roaring, but, um, you know, they're, they're not really fading. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, the, to some, Sum up. I, I think crude. I, I think the petroleum complex looks, um, you know, still looks pretty constructive, and, and 
you know, we, we still have some upside here. Andy, if I can go back for a minute to the gasoline story you were giving. Right. Please, Marty. You, you quickly mentioned the change from winter grade to summer grade. Right. And a number of folks on the EKTI network are new to the industry. So let me take a minute and you and I can exchange uh, some of the background on gasoline. A lot of people don't know that, that gasoline basically is only one component that comes out of the crude oil. A lot of the other components are, are heavier or fuel, and a lot of the refinery units are basically trying to destroy fuel oil and make gasoline. So with that in mind, it's a very complex operation. So there is a, a system in the refinery called gasoline blending, and over 30 components go into the gallon of gasoline that you are putting into your car. In the winter, one of the components that is added be to help uh, cars more easily start in cold weather is butane. In the summer, uh, the butane is too volatile and is taken out of, the, uh, out of the gasoline blend. So this is the term that Andy mentioned earlier, the difference between the winter grade and the summer grade. So Andy, if you can go in for a minute as to when they start switching over and, and what kind of impact that sometimes has on the market, I think that would be helpful. Well, right. There's, there's always a, a premium for the uh, for summer grade because, uh, as you mentioned, it's uh, uh, it's more expensive to make depending on you know depending on the uh, the blending operation. So oftentimes, you know, when you're looking at a, a gasoline curve, you know, you're always going to see March gasoline at a, at a pretty good discount to April gasoline, April futures. Uh, April futures is the first spring month, uh, spring summer grade month, uh, with the lower reed, va reed vapor pressure, and, and it continues to go lower uh, th throughout the summer, and, and is it is more expensive to make. Uh, so you, you're always going to see winter grade gasoline price lower than uh, than summer grade, and of course, wholesalers, the dealers, have to prepare by you know, get getting by liquidating their winter grade grade stocks and, and uh, moving into their their summer grades. I, th I think May first is is the um, you know the, where they have to have it at the at the um, or April sixteenth. I'm sorry, April sixteenth at at, uh, at the pumps. So you know, the, the, there's always going to be a differential between uh, between winter grade and uh, and summer grade. And there's also a logistics aspect of this changeover, as you alluded. Not only the refiners have to uh, switch the grades, but every terminal, every distribution point, uh, the gas stations themselves finally have to have make sure that they have the correct summer grade in before people start driving to the beaches. Right. You know the the gasoline, and again, you know you you'll see this big. Gap if, if for the chartists getting back to the future side for the chartists you know you always see a big gap up for when uh, you know March expires and uh, and April becomes uh, April becomes spot and and the first winter grade similarly um, September is is the last summer grade contract uh, October the first uh, the first winter grade contract and the the RVP 
read vapor pressure numbers um, increase from September, October, November, December, et cetera. Thanks, Andy. That was very, very helpful. Thank you, Marty, for, for bringing that up. But uh, again, I think, uh, you know, there's been so much focus on, uh, you know, on crude and the ge uh, geopolitics. You know, it's nice to talk about, uh, you know, some of the real, because some of the real, you know, what, what is made from crude, because crude, you know, doesn't really have very much, very much use, you know, other than running it through a, running it through a factory to make, uh, you know, to make products. Well, Marty and Ed, thank you very much. You can find us on uh, www.commodityresearchgroup.com. Uh, if you have a question, please uh, email me, alebeau, at uh, commodityresearchgroup.com. Marty? Uh, thanks, Andy and Ed. Always enjoy the sessions and, of course, learn something every time. If you're new to the industry or you're a trader that really doesn't understand what goes on inside a refinery, be sure to go to our website to learn how the industry works at www.ektinteractive.com. Thanks again for the opportunity to participate.